0: Beginnings are kind of interesting. Uh, If you took a Comp 101 class, you would know that uh, the professor would tell you, or maybe your teacher in high school would tell you, that you really want to get their attention. And that was the worst part for me, because I never knew where to begin. So I just told my teachers, I'm never going to begin the way you want me to, it's just going to be right to the point. So I've deemed myself the king of no transitions. It's just right into it. So, with that in mind, we're going to open up our Bible. So, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. We're going to be looking at how Mark begins his gospel. See, I don't know about you, but I am not envious of the gospel writers because how do you begin telling the story of Jesus? Where do you begin? Are you like Matthew, where you begin with the genealogy to show that Jesus descends from the line of David, but actually goes even further back than that? Are you like the Gospel of Luke? Are you the historian that has searched all these things out and wants to give a good account? And so you start with the birth story of Jesus. Are you like John, who thinks of Jesus from eternity past? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just last night, we have some friends visiting uh, with us from Chattanooga, and we were discussing this. How would you begin? And it was interesting that Carissa and our friend Ashley both said, we just start with the birth of Jesus. But Dr. Alex Wade and I, we were both sitting there thinking, well, man, do we we start with the first miracle of Jesus? Do we we lay the setting of the cities that Jesus is about to enter in and what their neighborhood and and daily life is like? What do we do? How would we begin? And the Gospel of Mark uh, is one of my personal favorite Gospels because it's just very fast-paced. See, with introductions, with beginnings, it's sometimes hard to know where you're going to begin. I remember showing up to Southern, never before having been around so many Adventists. Never before having been around so many Christians. And I remember taking my picture and smiling, and then getting the photo ID, and then getting my course outline with all the books that I was going to have to get to read. And one of the classes that I had to sign up for was Intro to Ministry. And the very first assignment, or one of the first assignments, was to come up with a mission statement for your ministry. And it was supposed to be uh, no less than 500 words. And I thought, this is going to be the longest mission statement in history. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, there was one verse that came to mind. And so my essay, of sorts, was one verse. It was, I have desired to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. That was, that was it. That was the paper. And so I submitted it, knowing that I probably was going to get it handed back to make some revisions to it. And my professor called me in, and we, and we kind of gathered, and he, he asked me why I'd chosen this. And I said, well, because to me, that just says everything. It's all about Christ. I don't want to get into theories and philosophies. I just want to know Christ, period. And so I think it's very fitting for us, a year after opening, having had to be a little bit delayed because of this virus, to begin where the Gospel of Mark begins. See, Mark begins in this very interesting place. In Mark chapter 1, it says, "...the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God." As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. See, Mark starts with a quote. Now, this might make sense to us because you might enter a home and see a quote, kind of like a family emblem on a wall. You might have a, a quote that you live by. It might be in your Instagram bio or your Facebook bio or your Snapchat or TikTok or I don't know if those have bios, but it, you might have a quote. You might share a quote on Twitter. You, you, you might have a, a quote that you have written down in a journal when things start to go south and you just start to fall on hard times. You return to this quote and it gives you energy. You might know someone or you yourself might have a quote of inspiration tattooed on your body. Right? Quotes. We live by quotes, many of us. We have favorite quotes, whether that's an author, maybe it's a Bible verse that is our quote. But Mark begins telling the story of Jesus with a quote. And what he's doing here is showing us two things. The context, the situation, the crisis that Jesus is stepping into and the solution. The quote is attributed to the book or the prophet Isaiah, and if your Bible is anything like mine, you would see that there are some tiny little letters or maybe numbers next to the verse, and in the footnotes, it would direct you to where Bible editors would say, this is where this quote comes from, and and so you would see that there might be a, a letter A or B or C, depending on the Bible that you have, and it would point you to two places in the Bible, Malachi and Isaiah, which is interesting because Mark just attributes this whole quote to Isaiah. So is Mark getting this wrong? Is he, is he already stumbling as he's starting to tell the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ, the best news, the greatest thing to ever happen to humanity? Or is he doing something incredibly intentional you see, this is the quote, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And we might read this and immediately jump into the story of John the Baptist. Well, here comes John the Baptist, and he's wearing this, this camel kind of uh, suit, right? And he's, and he's got this tie that he got given maybe for Father's Day, or, you know, maybe he got from his dad, right? And, and it's, he looks rugged, but not like lumberjack rugged, right? He looks homeless rugged, like he's been out in the wilderness rugged, right? And he's preaching and proclaiming baptism by repentance, saying that soon this man who's, who I am not worthy of being in front of, whose sandal I am not worthy of untying, is going to come and he will baptize with the Spirit of God, right? We just sometimes immediately jump into, oh, Mark is starting with The story of John the Baptist. But in reality, Mark is signaling the crisis that Jesus has to step into because if it wasn't for Jesus, the world would not continue. That's the reality of this account. See, when Mark attributes it to Isaiah and not to the two portions of Scripture that he's actually quoting from, he's painting this picture of what Isaiah's backdrop would be for when the Messiah would come. See, in Isaiah chapter 62, 63, you have Isaiah praying, Lord, open the heavens and come down because our situation is bad. You see, there's injustice. There's lawlessness. There's the love of many growing cold. There is senseless killings. There is hatred. There are family units breaking up over things that just should never divide a family. There's a major crisis happening. There's famine. There's sickness. There's disease. And faith in God stepping in, it seems like he's been silent. And so there's this prayer, Lord, open the heavens and come down yourself. And in Isaiah chapter 40, before Isaiah really starts to get into this prayer, he says these words, comfort my people, comfort my people, because their warfare has ended. See, there's this thing in the Bible where before the acknowledgment of the seriousness of the situation, there was always the good news about who God was, because, I mean, let's be honest, right? If, if you were given an option, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? Right? We might think, okay, uh, give us the bad news first so that we end on a good note. Right? But in the Bible, it's often the opposite way. It's the good news first, which is, this is who God is, this is the magnificence of who Jesus is, And here's the bad news. Here's the the messiness. And so Mark is beginning his gospel by pointing us to Isaiah. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Because Isaiah is a rather perplexing book. In fact, many scholars have said that Isaiah probably has multiple authors, Because there seems to be a shift in the way that they uh, tell the account of what's happening. You have Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, which signals much of the same literary styles like the Old Testament. And then you have a transition, a shift in tone. Almost as if Isaiah becomes more gospel-centered in chapter 40. And I would argue that the transition in chapter 40 shows us something beautiful. See, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1... It says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This is a passage about an end of an exile happening. You see, Israel has continually gone into exile. It's just part of their story. And maybe we can kind of, in a way, relate to exile... Because we've been under social distancing guidelines. We've been interacting. Maybe many of us have been working from home. And so we haven't been able to see family, or we haven't been able to see our friends or our coworkers, even those people that sometimes rub us the wrong way, but now we're starting to miss them because at least they give our lives some sense of livelihood, right? We haven't had a, a, a bickering or fight, you know, small little fight in a while, and so we're just kind of like, I don't I don't know, I don't know what to do. Right? Maybe we've had a little bit of a sense of Exile, But Israel's story is littered with exile. They rebel against God. They become unfaithful. And so God uses exile as a way to show them what sin does to us. You see, sin separates us from God. Not because God wants to be separated from us, but because when we sin, we essentially are saying, God, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't, I, I, I don't want you to see this portion of my life. I want to go and do this. You can stay over here. I'm going to go over here and do this. And... God being a God of love, He's not going to force Himself on us. He's not going to try to coerce Himself on us. And so sin separates you from God. And so God has used exile as an opportunity to show Israel what happens when we sin. And so Israel, because of just wandering and and being Uh, sinful creatures, they've continually gone in and out of exile. You have the Assyrians, you have the Babylonians, you have the Medo-Persians, you have these kingdoms that would come and conquer Israel, thus taking them into exile. So if you were a Jew and your city was conquered, you might be, you, you would lose your job. You would lose all sense of income. You might lose access to your family. You, uh, you want to have social media, so you want to be able to do any type of Zoom meetings, right? And you'd be taken to a new city, thus severing ties with your community, not knowing when you would ever see them again, not knowing if you were ever going to be able to return to the land that you grew up in. This is the real reality of exile. And so Israel has constantly been in and out of exile, but in Isaiah chapter 40... The prophet is announcing that warfare has ended, that iniquity has been removed, and so an exile is coming to an end. And so Mark is starting off the gospel, the beginning of the story of Jesus is that an exile is coming to an end. But what type of exile? Well, not only is Jesus going to arrive on the scene, so a physical exile away from God is going to end, but also a relational exile is going to end. To end. I have this friend, his name is Dominique. And when I first got to Marietta, he, he would sneak in and he'd be wearing his sunglasses. And he'd sneak in and he'd sit in the back and then he'd sneak out really quickly. And I remember talking about New Year's resolutions. Anyone in here make New Year's resolutions? I'm the worst. I do not like to make New Year's resolutions because I know January 2nd will happen and I'll for, I've forgotten all of them. I won't even go to the gym January 1st. I have a friend who, uh, he's a personal trainer, and so he just, he hates January because it's just, it's, the gym is packed. Now he might, not have, he might not have to worry about that now, but I mean, New Year's resolutions, right? We tend to think, okay, New Year, new me, we're gonna, we're gonna get better. We're gonna finally learn all of those skills. We're gonna learn that new language. We're gonna be doing better on our Duolingo, or we're gonna you know, maybe get that new job, or maybe we'll ask for that promotion, or we'll finally ask that person out, right? We'll make the first move, etc., right? And so New Year's resolutions come, and then they go, and we tend to be the same. And so I was talking about New Year's resolutions, and I was talking about the gospel that is afforded to us because of Jesus. And I remember making eye contact with Dominique, and and it felt like it, it was just us talking the whole time. And he gets up after the sermon, and he and he ushers out before I could even go down the aisle and, and, and meet him so I could shake his hand and want to hear his story and then the weekend goes and it's January and January starts to add up and it's all of a sudden, it's the middle of January and I get a phone call and I didn't know the number, so I didn't answer it because, you know, sometimes it's those uh, pesky, uh, whatever salesmen trying to tell you or, you know, etc, right? New healthcare, whatever it is, right? And So I didn't answer and he leaves me a voicemail And I listen to the voicemail, and it sounds so urgent. It sounds like he's in the middle of a crisis. And he says, Pastor Luke, you you may not know me. My name is, and then it muffles. And then he says, I've just had this incredible experience. And so if you could call me back, I really need to talk to you. So, of course, I I listen to this voicemail. I say, okay, i got to call him back. i got to call him back. So I call him immediately back. He answers, and he proceeds to tell me that he's been in and out of the hospital because he got hit by a car. He got hit by a car in the early morning, like 3 a.m. And he tells me of this experience that he had, where he woke up in the middle of the night, and somebody was in his room. And out of nowhere, he was led by this person in his room to this place that he couldn't even describe to me. He, he was struggling. It's like his, the breath behind his words were leaving, as if he was still frightened. And then he tells me that out of nowhere, he woke up in the hospital. And that's all he remembers of this experience. So I'm thinking, okay, this is, kind of, this is kind of odd. I've never gotten a phone call like this before. Um, okay, what, did I learn anything in school about questions that I could ask for being hit by a car? No, we didn't have a class on that. Um, what, what, what did he talk about? Okay, so there was a person in your room. Okay, well, who, who is this person in your room? And then he tries to describe this person, and it doesn't make any sense. And so finally I say, Dominique, I, we're just going to have to talk in person. We've got to meet up. So we meet up and he has these scars like these this road rash but it's more severe than i've ever seen before in my life and i'm asking him about how he got this right is this from the car accident from being hit in the car and he's like he's like no he said the person in my room that that led me out to where I'm trying to describe this place to me again left these marks and i'm thinking okay well this is probably the most interesting thing i've ever I've never had a conversation like this. And then he said, it started when you preached on doing away with New Year's resolutions because the beginning of the gospel is that we don't have to be exiled from God anymore. And so I made a decision in my heart to no longer be exiled. And out of nowhere, things started to to fall apart for me. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and here was this person, way taller than me, bigger than me, stronger than me, and just looked mean. And that's when I realized that when you make a commitment to respond to what Jesus has done to you, the devil will do everything in his power to prevent you. Now, growing up as a secular individual, I at first thought this is, this is wild. But his scars, they were just so real. And so Dominique and I started talking, and he walked me through the experience probably six times, and every time I heard him tell me this story, it just was just out of this world. And he kept always ending on one thing. The beginning of the gospel Gospels, there is an end to an exile, and that God can have a relationship with us because that's what he wants. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, the Gospel of Mark, because... He is saying that we are in the middle of a crisis, and that if God does not intervene, if God does not step into our situation, it will not be good. But then he says, Make way, the w- or make straight the way of the Lord. You see, when we hear this, we might think, oh man, when our parents are coming home, we need to clean our room. When, when our wife is on the way home and they said, unload the dishwasher or clean the dishes, we better make sure that that is clean. Because we do not want to experience any type of wrath. Or we're having people over and I'm coming home from work and can you sweep? You better make sure you sweep. Right? It's not that make straight. No, this is alluding to a king arriving that is a conqueror. This is alluding to a king that is is known for being undefeated. This is the, the grand opening of a king entering his kingdom. Rolling out the red carpet. Making sure that there's no stick for him to accidentally have to maneuver around. No, this is the grand opening of the king entering his kingdom. Walking into his people to be their king. That's the beginning of the gospel. That even though we're in the middle of a crisis, Jesus will step in, and an exile is coming to an end, and the king is arriving to his kingdom. You see, Mark says that it's from Isaiah, but actually, before the quote in Isaiah, in in verse 2, he says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. Well, where does this quote come from? Because it's not found in Isaiah. And some Bible scholars have said this comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. But in fact, if you were to look at Mark's usage of the Greek, right? He's using a quote. So where would he get this quote from? It's from another primary document, right? And so if you look at his Greek quote, and you were to apply it to another Greek quote, it's coming from Exodus 23.20. It's it's word for word. And the interesting thing about Exodus 23-20 is God is saying, I will go ahead of you. I will send an angel or a messenger. It's going to be Jesus. Jesus is going to go ahead of you to lead you into the promised land. So the beginning of the gospel for Mark is that Jesus is on the horizon, but he's actually also going ahead of us to lead us into the promised land to help us end in exile. That's the beginning of the gospel. That's not the beginning, end, middle. That's the beginning is what he says, that we don't have to be away from God. We don't have to be distant from God, and that actually he's going to be the one who goes and prepares the way, which takes all the stress off of us, right? I mean, I'm the type of kid where when my mom said I needed to clean my room, I stuffed everything under the bed. It didn't matter if it lifted my mattress up. I would tell my mom, mom, it's clean. Don't worry. It's clean. It's good. If I needed to find other places of storage, I was, I was a master at this. I think I was just being prepared to learn how to play Tetris so that if whenever I had to move or I had to pack a trunk, I could just fit everything in there. didn't matter because I, I just learned. My mom would tell me to clean my room. I'd say, done, I got it. Give me 15 minutes. Challenge accepted. I'd grab everything. I'd get pillowcases. I'd just start throwing stuff in and then just under the bed. Right? Just under the bed. That's stressful to have to clean. It's stressful. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to be the one who goes ahead. And Mark attributes that passage to John the Baptist. Well, what did John the Baptist do? Well, he came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You want to know what repentance is? It's a turn of direction. So it's you're out here exiled. Oh, you can turn and go back. You no longer have to be exiled. That's the beginning of the gospel. And when I think of relationships with Jesus, as somebody who grew up trying to be the best hockey player the world had ever seen, as somebody who sold their Xbox, who broke their television, who gifted my mom a a new back uh, sliding glass door because my wrist shot went from like 45 miles per hour to like 80 in like a summer and I was trying to scare my sister who was sitting on the couch because I had accidentally dinged the back door before. So I thought, okay, cool. I even told my friend, watch this. We're going to scare my older sister. And then the puck went through the sliding glass door. I wanted to be the best. I was committed to being the best. And so when I came into being a follower of Jesus, I would look at other people, not in a judgmental way, but I would look at some saints And I'd be like, wow, I want to have that type of relationship with Jesus. And I started to realize that they never settled on the beginning of the gospel. That they always pressed in deeper. That the main goal of a Christian is Christ himself. It's not the benefits of Christianity. It's not good health because that will fade. It's not a nice house because that could be destroyed in a tornado or a hurricane or wherever, an earthquake. If they have those out here in Georgia. I haven't experienced one yet. It could be it's not education, it's not... No, the main chief, the chief aim of being a Christian is Christ himself. That's it. And for Mark, that's the beginning of the gospel, is that God has done so much for us that we no longer have to be exiled. In fact, he's not done so much he's done at all on our behalf. You see, he's about to just immediately jump into all these things that Jesus does. Last Sabbath, we talked about a leper and how you can believe the unbelievable because a leper runs up to Jesus and falls down at his feet saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Before that, Jesus lifts up and heals Simon's mother-in-law. He goes around and he casts out demon after demon and healing after healing. Why? Because he's showing that an exile is coming to an end. Because the beginning of the gospel is that we do not have to be distant from God anymore. And so my question for us this morning is do our prayer lives reflect that gospel? Do our actions reflect that gospel? Do the, the quiet time that nobody else can see reflect that gospel? That we don't have to have a distant, second-hand relationship with Jesus. That we can have the most intimate, supremely amazing, wonderful relationship with Jesus. That we read about people having these crazy experiences in the Bible. We can have that type of relationship. It doesn't Have to be just we say grace when we eat. It doesn't have to be that we show up to church on Sabbath and that's it. We can press in deeper because the beginning of the gospel for Mark is that there's a crisis, the same crisis that Isaiah talked about, but that the Lord was on his way. In fact, he was going to enter like a king because he had already conquered. That is some good news. That's the best news imaginable. That's, there's no greater news than that, but that's just the beginning. Can you imagine what several years into that looks like? Can you imagine the depth, the deeper and deeper that we go? So Dominique, we met several times. We started to study the Bible together, and I started to talk to him about the depth that God affords us. In fact, I, I talked to him about the beloved disciple, John. How do, you, how do you get away with calling yourself the most beloved disciple? How, I mean, talk about some serious confidence. How do you get away with that? But I think John understood something. It's that we can press in as deep as we want and that the Lord will never turn us away. So the deeper that we want to go with him, God is there. He's saying, come on, let's, let's, let's reach new depths. Let's set personal records. Let's go where nobody else has gone before. And John said, deal, done. We'll go there. That's the beginning of the gospel. We don't have to be exiled. And we're beginning here a a new chapter in the Alpharetta 7th Adventist Church. We've been in this facility for a year. This is my second Sabbath. But I cannot wait to see exiles come to an end. Because as I studied with Dominique, and as he started to grasp how much God loved him, one thing started to constantly come up. Pastor Luke, how do I share this with my friend? Pastor Luke, how do I share this with my coworkers that are getting mad at me because I tell them that I'm not going to work on Sabbath? Pastor Luke, how do I pray for, for my boss that's treating me poorly? Because I want them to hear this news as well. Dominique actually stopped going to Marietta because he moved where God felt like he was calling to go and do mission work, not overseas as many people try to go, but in the United States. I had the privilege of baptizing Dominique. He got plugged into our AV. He became one of the nicest greeters that you would have ever met. You show up to church and he's just like, hey, how's it going? I'm glad that you're here. Because for him, an exile ended. God had forgiven him and had welcomed him back. And for us, I would say that that right there Is magnificent. That's the beginning of the gospel. And so as we begin, I think it's fitting for us to just acknowledge. Maybe we're going to take five seconds, five to ten seconds of just quiet and just acknowledge, Lord, thank you, because I don't have to be distant. We don't have to be fearful or ashamed or guilty because you have paid the price. So take the next five to ten seconds, and then I'm going to close us with prayer, and then Felicia is going to come back up and sing another wonderful song. Father, Mark tells us that just the beginning of the story of Jesus is that an exile has come to an end. He tells us that you are a conquering king that has arrived on the scene. You have actually torn open the heavens and come down yourself to bring deliverance. Lord, the world just bombards us constantly trying to make us feel like we have to be a certain way. And yet your word tells us that we can just come to you as we are. Jesus has said that you will, you will never cast anyone out. You have said, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and that you will give us rest. And so Lord, as we begin with this gospel, as we begin with this next ministry chapter, I ask that this would be a place where exile is ended. That this would be a place where people who might have felt distant from God can be welcomed back and just received. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks. And we know that you're going to do magnificent things. And so we look forward to them. Lord, bless this day. Bless this Sabbath. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.